Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business podcast. My name is Hector Santiasteban, and I am your host. And we are here with another amazing guest, Mr. Albano Gega. And we are going to talk about careers and business and how they meld together. He is the co-founder of Alza. They are a virtual career accelerator program for professionals looking to get to that next step. And so what's interesting is I think that so many entrepreneurs and business owners are, are doing that same thing just kind of in their own way. So Albano, welcome to the show, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Thank you for having me. In. I'm really, really excited to chat more on, on everything and appreciate the intro for sure. So you've got quite the experience, education, and you've always kind of been around, it seems, helping people advance, though. It seems like getting them to the next step has kind of been a thread you know, throughout your experience. But catch us up on what you've been doing and then also a little bit about what you guys do now. Sure, absolutely. I've had to give you a quick rundown of the old profile and, and the resume there. So I think, yeah, I think the one thing you pointed out, which I appreciate you doing that, is this theme around like helping folks just advance, right? And specifically, I think of different vehicles and different verticals. It's something that was, for me, something that became apparent only through experience at the end of the day. So initially, when I started off, I was in recruitment. So I did full cycle recruitment. I worked for a British company out of New York. And the whole mandate that I had there was like, Obviously, work with folks trying to get them jobs. I started off in financial services, then essentially went more on the tech side of things. I did really well for about a year that I was there. And what I enjoyed the most out of it was like working with folks at the end of the day that were looking for the next opportunity, looking for the next step in their career, whether they were looking for something in an employing position or unemployed, whatever it was. I was like, look, these are this is kind of my responsibility in terms of what I want to do. And at the end of the day, I think most recruiters, by the way, like they're going into it with the right intentions. I think it's just how the shops are run sometimes. It doesn't always equate to the best sentiment, I think, overall in the general public around how recruiters are positioned, especially like if you look at LinkedIn, a lot of it is like it's a numbers game. It's a lot of automated messages and stuff like that. I was doing back in the day, which I'm going to age myself here a little bit, but like my whole thing was to do cold calls every day. It was 100 a day, connect to 100 different people every single day. So it was a lot of manual labor, but through that I learned very quickly at a very kind of high level of individuals that I was working with, connecting with some of these banks and asset management firms. They're just people at the end of the day. And no matter kind of where they are, they're going to be looking to you, similar fashion, you've been looking at them to help you out, right? Or help for you to help them out at the end of the day. But I did that for about a year. And I, again, I didn't really love the model. I didn't feel like it was a great culture for me personally. And I said, I'm going to do something completely opposite. Like, I'm not a recruit. I'm not part of this thing. Like, what's the other end of the spectrum? And I came across kind of the nonprofit sector of the world. So I had an older sibling who had done Teach for America. And Teach for America is basically like, it's kind of like being in the Peace Corps. You commit for about two years, a very rigorous selection process. And I applied, I think at the time they applied, about 49,000 applicants that had gone through the application and they took only about 2,500 nationally. I was one of those 2,500 and I felt like a Navy SEAL. At the end of the day, you're like, whoa, I made it into this thing. But it couldn't be further from the truth. I mean, it was such hard work. And you're going to what they call Title I schools. So like schools that generally are in areas that are less affluent, more socioeconomically challenged, schools that generally don't have a great track record of test scores and graduation rates and such. So that's kind of where you're going. I taught math for two years, pre-algebra to seventh and eighth graders. So if you can imagine... <laughs> trying to teach a 12-year-old about an equation. It's not really the most fun thing in the world for everybody included, but I love the kids I was working with, right? And I love being able to say, at the end of the day, we're doing work obviously towards bettering the outcome, potentially of some of the folks who we're working with, and then kind of a dominant effect that would happen specifically in those communities. That was the whole idea 
in similar kind of sense, you know, my first year there, we had a an insane attrition rate of teachers. Schools generally are not well equipped, I think, to retain folks, sadly enough. And if you look at numbers, I mean, it's a very, very high rate of educators that are leaving constantly. I remember at the time in my first year, we had a 36% attrition rate. And that was really, to me, it was like the biggest catalyst point of doing deep dives on why are they leaving? What does that look like? And you look at them and it's just hundreds of thousands every year. But within that, there's actually an opportunity. So I'm giving you kind of a long run around here, but I'm going to walk you through kind of everything. With teachers leaving, the kind of market research and what showed is the fact that they were leaving because of a few things which are still common today. It's like lack of autonomy, lack of support, lack of feedback, lack of systems, lack of resources. And of course, as always, everybody else knows it's like lack of funds, right? Schools are generally very heavily underfunded, especially at a school like that. Like you're doing everything on your own. Your work, I was working 11, 12 hours a day. I was spending six hours lesson planning every single weekend to receive basically no feedback. And there's no loop. There's no, again, there's no system in hand. There's no partnership. There wasn't like mentorship available because you're just trying to get through your days. You're trying to survive. So I sat there. I remember like very, very, I was sitting in my classroom and I was like, it shouldn't have to be this hard. I shouldn't want to quit every month. It shouldn't be the way it is. And it shouldn't be the fact that like all my colleagues and friends that I've developed now, all these relationships are now at the door. I thought, what if I could try and solve this? And what would this look like? And that made me start my very first company. It's called Tier Social. And the idea was to create like an exclusive peer-to-peer network and social network for educators only. So not selling to schools because they have very large and long sales cycles, nine months, right? It's very difficult. Notoriously difficult to sell like ed tech to schools in general. I have friends in the space. It's a mess. So I was like, I want to solve my own problem. I want to keep it purely B2C or P2P, if you will. I don't have a tech background or anything like that, but... Agrees enough to start thinking, all right, like maybe we build a tech platform. How do we build a social network? And we want to do it with the familiarity of something like a LinkedIn mixed with like a task bracket. So anybody could access it from a social network perspective, but also get the mentorship, also get the guidance from somebody who's 10 years down the line in the same ecosystem, in the same vertical, in the same grade, subject area, so on and so forth. All that would be accessible from the platform. And at the same time, like I don't want to spend six, eight hours lesson planning anymore. I got tired of it year two. So what if I could outsource that? So someone else could do it, right? And they would pay them and then you create the system of like back and forth of both monetary growth, but also most importantly, the actual craft of, of being an educator. So we did that for about 20 months. My co-founder and I went through a couple of different developers. I People come to me and they're like, yeah, so like, how do you want this done? How do you want this build? Like Swift, Native, this, that. And I'm like, I have no idea what's happening. I had no, no clue about the terms. They're like, yeah, well, I'm focusing on Python. I'm like, isn't that a snake? When I say zero knowledge of the thing, right? So you're learning as you go on the job in real time. And it was the best thing I could have asked for. We built for about 20 months, completely bootstrapped, cut a couple LOIs, got a couple partnerships, and just got super, super lucky. So before we did any like hard launch or anything like that, my interim CTO at the time, he was on a Kuwait conference, that's where he was originally from, runs into this guy who goes, you guys are building a really cool product. Here's what I've been a part of. And it was the exact same thing, except they also had like tens of millions in, in funding, not more. They also had a five to seven year head start. They also had a bunch of different things that we didn't have. Just like, have you guys thought about an acquisition offer? And I said, no, but okay. And then, you know, after much thinking, long story short, I was like, I don't want, I don't know if I want to be acquired and spend another five years doing the same thing. I felt like we had put it to a point where it was ready to either be sold or grown at a different level. So I ended up actually selling the IP for it. And then for the first time ever, I had capital. I had a little bit of time. And yeah, enough to basically cover our last two years of effort and grinding as an educator five days a week. And I thought, well, I really want to work with mentorship, I want to work with advising, but 
classroom isn't the right thing, right? It's not the right vehicle. It's very limiting. I found a company that had come out of Y Combinator that focused on career development coaching for tech professionals. So I joined them and I just loved it. Like I completely fell in love. I love the fact I focus on product, professional strategy, operational folks, but I'd say heavy on the product side. I did that for about a year. And I think any entrepreneur will tell you is like, once you start one thing, maybe you'll start another. So after about a year with them, I was like, there's things that I could do a little bit differently, I think. And in turn, I started outside about 18, 19 months ago. I'm going about two years now. So it's, it basically started off as a career coaching platform. Again, working hands-on, visualized. For us, it never was about building something massively at scale with that model because things can get very, very expensive. Things can get very hard to build whether it's with people or capital, but it's just one of the things where like expenses will go massively high, like overhead will go really, really high. And I've seen those things happen firsthand, some companies that I've been a part of, companies that I've advised on. And I was like, fine to just work with a number of clients every single month and grow it a little bit that way. But then what really turned everything for the next direction of what we're going to do was the idea that the impact that could be driven was also very limited by the model of what it was, right? So we could do Zoom calls all day long, or I could, I should say, right? Thinking long that I'm like, but can I do them? Right. As you said before, we started, it's like life gets in the way of certain things. Right. So we want to think long term, like what are we really building and who we're building it for? So Alta then shifted. And what it became now is a large scale membership model focusing on helping underrepresented folks and talent from emerging markets gain a foothold in tech. That is going to be done through content, through modules, through resources, and then also through coaches, whole housing on place, SMEs, advisors. So on and so forth. And all of this, the whole idea is the users will have full autonomy. And most importantly, they'll have accessibility no matter where they are. So they don't have to be displaced by the models that exist currently where it's in an insanely high price point or tag, or it's going to be prerequisites that don't fit an investor's checklist, right? Or it's not going to be one of the things they have to quit their job or commit for six months straight to be able to learn a new skill. All the training, all the upskilling will happen in one place and they can do it any point in time. In that, a community then is built, an ecosystem is built around getting hired and finding talent and so on and so forth. There's a lot coming down the pipeline, but we've been working hard at that and the team has been working hard at that as we look towards other things. But the whole idea is that now Alta will be available to a lot more people and at a very, very affordable price point as well. Yeah. There's a few things that I want to dive into that is actually different than what I had anticipated. And the yeah. first was this idea of positioning. And I don't remember how you said it at the beginning, but the ability to stand out or separate yourself, I would imagine that when you're advancing your career, there's so much to that, right? But I think that's something that you've been able to weave into, even in the sense of helping 12-year-olds figure out how equations can position themselves differently in the marketplace, wherever they're going. But how do you think about positioning or differentiation or competitive advantage? What's kind of your thought process behind that? I think there's a couple of different ways, and these are things that I've seen work for us, right? I think one of the easiest things to do is to see what is in the market, what everyone else is doing, what is kind of quote unquote the norm, and see where you can add some sort of incremental variability of change around. It's interesting because I like to always tell clients and people that we work with for them to not think of themselves as candidates for a job, but to think of themselves as product, right? Product that needs to be marketed, product that needs to be adopted, be consumed, whatever it is, right? I always ask, like, who are you selling to? It's very important to know, right? Who's your ideal customer persona? And for them, it's going to be whatever company they're going after, right? Or the person they want to connect with that leads to the next job, leads to the next opportunity. 
So when it comes to differentiation, I think it scares a lot of people generally. People hear like, well, I have to be different. What does that look like? So it's generally, I think, a, a, a pervasive thought around something extreme or something, you know, nuts. But it's very simple. Things that don't work, I'll say this, and maybe this can clarify some of it. I see job seekers all the time, career changers, whatever you want to call it. When they conduct any sort of outreach, they do it in a position of need, meaning they do it only when they absolutely need it, right? Which means everyone else is also doing it at that time. Like right now is the perfect example of what where that's happening with all the layoffs. Granted, nobody wants to be in that position, but even when people are doing it, some of the nuances and the components of the message themselves that I've seen firsthand from clients that I've worked with, it's... Hi, Hector. Here's 12 paragraphs about me that you didn't ask about at all whatsoever. And then my favorite is, for your consideration, here's my unstructured, unoptimized resume that you're not going to read. And people run that through over and over and over and over and over. Or when they write, they'll write, I know I can be a value add to you. It's like, you don't know anything. The thing that always stands with me when it comes to differentiation or position, whatever, it's actually pretty simple. And I should get this done on a t-shirt somewhere because I truly mean I say it all the time. The same rules that apply offline, apply online. People will always be the number one thing that will drive you forward. How I was able to position myself or weave through certain positions or go and adjust from recruitment to educator to becoming an entrepreneur to becoming whatever, and then pivoting within kind of that journey, what that looks like, whether it's our functions or models or people or tech, whatever, it happens through people first, right? They're the number one and best resource for anything at the end of the day. As much as there's going to be tools, there's going to be advances, the magical thing around like community or having a mentor or having guidance or having mentorship or just having a conversation, like conversations always lead to conversions, no matter what it is that you're looking for. I stress this all the time where I'm like, it's people first, always. I've always done that. And I don't mean in a position always where it's like, well, I'm just going to do anything for anyone. And then maybe they're also breaking that. That works to a degree, but what works seems to be better is to understand what's your end goal and reverse engineering around that. So if it's a matter for finding a job, there's no point, just from what I've seen, and, and my professional opinion on this is like, well, there's no point in applying to 600 jobs blindly on LinkedIn, or Indeed, or any of the other ones, and then waiting. And that seems to be the tactic that everybody wants. What's much better is this approach where it's like a chisel is much more effective than a sledgehammer. Maybe they'll get the job done, but precision really happens well. So when it comes to outreach, when it comes to personalization, when it comes to positioning, I would always encourage folks to think of themselves like a product that needs to be adapted in a market. And the way they do that isn't by asking first about the thing that they want. I always say it as like, set up a conversation, set up a structure around it, right? But be clear around what the outcome is going to be. Everything else are variables. Everything else can be taught. Everything else is a nuance. You want to basically pre-sell yourself before you have to resell yourself. It's the information interviews before the real interview. But people think those two things are separate and they're actually super connected and web throughout together. So when it comes to things like the resume, the LinkedIn profile, the cold emails, the LinkedIn messaging, the interviews, and all the way down to negotiating an offer and a contract, the language, the visibility, the tonality, the narrative all have to be the exact same every single time because it's easy for people to consume. Think about it. Like now when we have TikTok and short attention spans, it works really well because people are like, nobody wants to sit there and read forever, right? Or like watch a video forever. So just quick, quick, quick. Same thing on LinkedIn. The best content usually converts isn't pages and pages long. But it's very concise and clear, and the person who's doing it has built a brand of clarity around what these people are obviously akin to following when it comes to the value they're getting and so on and so forth. I know, long-winded here. But when it comes to positioning, there has to be clear around, okay, number one, what is the end goal around this? Number two, how do I reverse engineer that? Number three, who are the people that can help me do this? When I'm stepping into the room or the virtual room or whatever in the conversation, it's just a conversation. 
That's it. I tell you all the time, like interviews are not really interviews. They're just two people talking. Could be nervous. It's natural, right? It's intimidating, whatever. But it's really just a conversation with an opportunity attached. That's it. And you can slowly kind of close the dichotomy between the positions of employer and employee, slowly by treating like respect, of course, right? But also understanding that there's value that you have that needs to be translated on the other side. So it's pretty straightforward once you once you get there. Yeah. As we are here with Albano Gega, and he's the co-founder of Alza, and we've talked a lot about positioning and advancing in your career. One other thing that I think that I've just noticed that you've woven throughout all of your businesses is this ability to create an, an ecosystem the ability to create a market that I think is just brilliant. And so when we get back from break, I want to hear your thoughts on why you did that and, and how someone might do that as well. So we're going to get into that right after this quick break. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. Today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media. And we are at face value, a podcast production company, but we'd like to bring out your genius. And so if you have a mission, a message, a passion, a purpose that you want to get out to the world, we can help. Go to amplifymedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y media.com. You can check the show notes for all the info and we'd love to help. Now with that, let's get back to today's episode. Okay, Albano. So let's talk about a couple of things here. I'm curious selfishly about this ecosystem that I mentioned that you've been building. And, and what I love about it is that's what's great about Amazon is that they sell stuff now, but in their come up, they were just the network. They were bringing people together. They were creating the marketplace. You know, Similarly, Uber creates the marketplace, Airbnb, right? And, and you in the same kind of fashion are bringing buyers and sellers and you're kind of connecting people together. I think that's fascinating. But I'd also like to make the question a little bit harder by saying that that is really hard to build. <laughs> There's all <laughs> these different components. You don't just have one customer you've got a bunch of different customers bases that you are serving perhaps all at the same time right and you're building all the same so to walk us through that process why that was part of your strategy and how that whole thing came together sure i think one big thing around our position right to keep that theme going i'm thinking through like our model of how we're going to do this how we're going to build and what we're going to specifically focus on it was an evolution but i think again it's around seeing what is currently in the works what is the current solution quote-unquote, whether it's effective or not, and then saying, well, who's not being served? That's a big question that we always ask. That's one of the things that we ask internally as a team as well. Like, who's not being served? What does that look like? And that can be one client, or that can be many. In this case, before we even decided to pivot and build anything in terms of a platform, we really took a look at tech in general. We looked at, again, like the existing shops that deal with like career coaching, transitioning, whatever. There's no shortage of courses. There are no shortage of creators and no shortage of funded companies with models where they don't take anything up front, but they'll take, you know, five to 10% of when you get a job. That, in our opinion, is an inherently flawed model. One is a business because you're not earning any revenue until someone is placed. It's contingent on success of a massive amount of variables because you don't know how the market's going to tilt. And now, for example, 12,000 people were laid off with an email from Google. And the whole SVB thing happened this weekend. Everybody's holding their breath. There's too little control in the market generally from single operators, some of these companies that are startups on their building, Series A, whatever, because the model doesn't allow them to earn anything until X. I'm personally not a fan of that. I think it's great to figure out levers to bring a lot of customers in. I think it's part of the marketing. It's part of the conversions, whatever it is, and everybody's different. For us, the number one thing was who is not being served? And then thinking through like, hey, okay, and what is the model that we can build out of working with these folks, but also ensuring that there's buy-in? 
It's one thing I touched on before is when it comes to outside, the way we really thought about it is it's like a gym membership. It's a gym membership for your tech career. And I don't know if that's going to be our headline, but like is what it is. It's a very simple kind of thought process. If you're going to get in better shape, you're going to go potentially to the gym. People work out the way they will, but let's just say that this is a hypothetical. They're going to go to the gym. They're going to work out. They're going to pay a fee for it. No gym will be like, come, you're fine for free for the next year. And then maybe when you have a six pack, we'll then charge you for the months that you were here. It doesn't make much sense. Like anything else, you go to a restaurant, you have to pay for the food you're about to eat. I think those models became very popular, especially during the pandemic, because people were being laid off. And then it was like, hey, what can we do? But it doesn't, you know, after a couple of months, and I've been part of these places as well, so I've seen it firsthand and experienced it. Like after a couple of months, there isn't all that much that you can say to a client that's been with you, but also hasn't invested anything either in terms of like, well, I've invested and I want to see what the outcome looks like. The motivation will start weaning off. And then your motivation will start weaning off because results are not being materialized or whatever the case may be. And then that will impact the relationship longer term if you have a year to find a job. It's backwards. Most people need a job, especially now, yesterday. Or they needed to know that they would need a job a month before they got laid off, right? Or more. So with us, it's how can we basically focus on like rapid informational transference, right? What we call like RIT. How do we get the value, the knowledge, everything else that we know across to you as a member, as a user, as soon as possible in a format that will help in terms of retaining attention, retaining knowledge, and then execution around it. And that's where we push content on one side and then we push the coaches on the other. So it's you're getting the education and they're going to focus on execution. Those two levers have been massive in terms of people that we approach to become part of the platform for partnerships. And, you know, again, we haven't even launched anything, but it's been a really good run around solidifying the clarity around. When it comes to the people that we're focusing on, I mentioned this before, but we're focusing on folks that are emerging talent that are coming from different emerging markets. Africa is having a massive, massive tech moment. Places like Nairobi, Lagos, and the like. There's just a boom of interest in technology and boot camps and this and tech jobs and so on and so forth. India has been a monolith for tech for such a long time, place in Southeast Asia. And it's interesting because the Silicon Valley, quote unquote, coaching development career shops that at least that we're aware of, they focus on a very specific mandate of folk. It's potentially you're already in tech and you're at a very senior level, but you want to get to the next level. Next, next step. You're going to get to the next earning cycle. You're going to get to the next, and that's fine. That works to a degree. Those folks can also potentially, with different RSUs and whatnot, they can potentially wait to earn, or they can wait for the right opportunity. Where we want to go is help folks that don't even have access to that kind of opportunity, whether it's through a lack of network, whether it's through a lack of knowledge, whether it's a lack of an ecosystem, whatever the case may be. It's the lottery that ran in terms of landing in a specific zip code. That's just the reality of how things operate in a day. A kid from Nairobi is not going to get the same, never, at least not immediately, get the same opportunity as someone in San Francisco, in New York, in New Jersey, in Austin, in Dallas. And that's just the way the world works. Our whole thing was like, well, where is there a massive majority of folks that could benefit from something like this? And then closing it on a micro level, here in the U.S. alone, we've got massive discrepancies in diversity of tech companies. And there are so many folks, people of color, marginalized groups, folks are generally underrepresented that would, I think, relish and do so well in opportunity in tech, but they don't have the knowledge base, they don't have a skill set, right? They don't have the right training program, they don't have the right opportunities to this stuff. So if you're looking at places that are, again, if you follow the thread, because I did the same thing when I was teaching, if you look at communities that are not very affluent, but you've got folks that maybe are in retail sales 
or they're doing some sort of job two to three, four, five years in, that for us is a prime candidate to say, would you like to actually work in tech? And I don't mean quit your job and learn how to code for the next six months because there's other boot camps for that. What I would focus on is like, what are the skills you already have? What can we repackage? What can we educate on? And then what can we execute on? Because that transition happens a lot. People don't really talk about it though. So the excellent that we want to focus on, again, are the folks that need the opportunity, but haven't been given the opportunity. And that's been an amazing thing to work towards because it's super inspiring to wake up every day. And I think for us and for me and my co-founder, where we knew like maybe we're onto something here is actually what happened internally. So I went to former clients that I had and I said, here's what I'm building. And I had helped coach them and place them at the jobs that they're at now. And I said, you remember what we did here? And they're like, absolutely. I'm like, I want to take this and I want a thousand exit. Okay, here's what I want to focus on. Here's what I want to build. Here's what this will look like, right? And you can help me build this together. And that's really what it is. And we grew like 1,100% or whatever the math was in the span of like four or five months. We went from just me and my partner to all of a sudden having 23, 25, I think, people now in terms of folks that are ready to do the mentorship, the coaching. And then we've got people that are working on strategy. We've got people who are going the extra mile to work on outreach. There are people who are thinking around the product and mispositioning. I spent a grand total of zero dollars to bring them on board. People first, right? Now, their incentives of their own, and they have obviously their own motivations. It's a social mission kind of company, right? It's driven by wanting to do, honestly, just really good things. Not another scratch. Let me say this. I don't want to do good things. I want to do great things. And I think the only way to do great things is by providing value potentially at scale. Because if we can, again, hit the domino effect of changing one person's life, ideally, we can also think about doing that for the next 10, next 100, next 1,000, and next 10,000 as well. So it's been an amazing journey so far, but like we've barely scratched the surface. So we've got some big things coming from the pipeline. <laughs> when we talked about these different customer bases that you're serving, how you were able to turn one of those customer bases to someone all of them to really people in need, right? To where you're not just serving people who want the service, but people who need it and all the levels and in all the directions. And I think there's something really to that. Abana, where can people go and find out more about Alza? Where can they get connected if they want to dive in or go through the programs? I'd love for you to share. Absolutely. So, so right now, if you go to joinalza.com, we can drop a link. You'll see, obviously, our main site. We're pre-launched. So like there's a wait list that's happening. But I think to that end, you know, it's, it's actually quite simple. If folks want to connect, there's an entire like calculus page around what that looks like. I'm available on LinkedIn, I'm available on email. You know, people can book a coffee chat here and there whenever there's availability. So I'm more than happy to connect with anyone that would be of interest, whether it's somebody who is looking to essentially like break into tech or advance in tech, or it's someone who potentially wants to lend a helping hand and become a mentor or coach, or you know, wants to serve as a functional SME as it comes to somebody on the platform. The cool thing about it is accessibility really shouldn't be all that hard. Connect to the right person will potentially lead you to the right job, the opportunity, the right salary, whatever key level of growth someone's looking for. There's a ton of people that are in these ecosystems, in these platforms. I just feel like there's too much, whatever I want to call it, too much blockage, too many hurdles to jump, too many like, oh, well, no, you would be a good fit if you had this much money, or you would be a good fit if you maybe looked a certain way. You would be a good fit if so on and so forth. And again, no one's going to come out right and say those things. But it is a reality that we perceive, and we could spend the next ten hours on the podcast if you'd like talking about those. But I know we have things to do and places to go. So it's joinalsa.com. Anyone can find me on LinkedIn. I'm fully public. Message anything, anytime. Happy to help. We're actually working also on developing 
a number of resources as well that we're going to start posting publicly and kind of get back to like the social sharing aspect of it because you know we've been kind of heads down the last couple of months just in building mode right so pretty soon we'll be starting tiktoks and things like that i'm just obviously just pushing for more exposure and more awareness around it i love it but yeah well, guys, go get on that wait list. Go get connected with Albano. Uh, my last question for you, Albano, though, is in your opinion, what is the secret to growing or scaling a business? Good question. I think the secret to growing and scaling a business is clarity in one word. Clarity on how you're going to operate, clarity on how you're going to build. Not to say that things won't change, not to say that you won't pivot, but I think having absolute clarity and purpose will help to figure out where you can pull certain things, how to be resourceful, how to be lean, how to build with not having a ton of capital, how to build and not having a ton of support, technically or otherwise. I think if you have a goal in mind to go after it 100%, at 100 miles per hour, if you can. And if you can, that's okay too. Try at least with 40 miles per hour, 25, whatever you can do to kind of keep pushing forward. I think scale is something that gets talked about often, and I think it's something to be really aware of because people think like, oh, no, I'll scale and I'll make this. And you know, when we get there, when we get there, fine. Right, but you look at models like WeWork, for example, and kind of what's been happening in the funding cycles with VCs over the last five, 10 years, what's going to happen, and this is my take on this year, and it already is, it's going to be a leveling off of businesses that don't have sound business models, the businesses that are not bringing revenue constantly, right? So the landscape's changed. The growth at all cost model is going to go out the window if it hasn't already. So WeWork, for example, grew insanely high, $47 billion valuation. But it was built on basically nothing. You're renting chairs and this and this and this. Cool. But it was sold well, so on and so forth. And then Adam Newman did really well for himself right when he got out of it. That's one version of scale. I think scale also can really refer to, and this is what we're trying to do, is tangibly how many people's lives were affected in a positive capacity by the work that everyone did, by the money that was invested in the system, by the time, the effort, the knowledge that coaches this and this and this. So I think scale is going to be somewhat open to interpretation. I think people have different ideas around it. For somebody else, it could be, oh, we have two offices, it could be 10. But for us, as it comes to it, is clarity really helps to know, this is my anchor, this is my North Star. And when we scale, it's going to happen in XYZ way, while never deviating or compromising the original vision of what you were intended to do, especially if that vision is going to help everyone else around it get better and grow and so on and so forth. Great stuff, man. Albano, this has been a fantastic conversation. And uh, guys, I want to encourage you guys to go get connected. If you guys enjoyed today's conversation, we'd appreciate a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. If there is uh, someone who is in the midst of growing their business or thinking about starting their business, please send in this episode and then take one thing that Albano mentioned, at least one thing, go out, implement it, execute it. Let us know how it goes. We want to hear about your successes. And above all, thanks always for being part of the tribe and sticking with us. We'll see you on the next one. Later, y'all.